It's time for Cadillac on Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac on Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, friends. Welcome to Cadillac on Call, presented by Cadillac Foundation. Each week at this time, we focus on getting you information on health services available in our community, and we kick off 20. 20- 21, the same way we spent much of 2019, and that is getting you the very latest information on COVID-19 and the ongoing efforts throughout our region to contain the spread of the virus. And in fact, doing some review of 2000, uh, 2020, uh, we estimated 42 out of our 52 programs during the year 2020 were spent focusing almost exclusively on 2020, so uh, on COVID-19. So we're very pleased to be able to gather uh, uh, resources in our community uh, to get you the very latest information. And two of the people that have been regular guests on our program throughout the course of this past year are with us tonight. First, we'll visit with Heather Hill from the Benton Franklin Health District. And we'll also check in with Dr. Brian York, who is an infectious disease specialist at Cadillac, to get his insight on some of the on the COVID vaccines themselves and how effective they are uh, proving to be. So we begin first with Heather Hill. She's the Communicable Disease Program Manager at the Health District for Benton and Franklin County. And good evening and Happy New Year, Heather. Did you ever think that 42 out of 52 weeks, I know you spent even more than that uh, with your team at the Health Department because, what was it, the 1st of February, late January, when, when your team first mobilized really in an incident, incident command system? Right. That was February 4 is the date that we mobilized incident command, and we've been operating that way ever since. Well, where are we as we sit here in January of the following year? What, what's the current status of where we are? I know we've talked all the last uh, eight or ten weeks relative to the, to the holiday-related surges that everyone was happening, and I know cases are still fairly high, but, but where are we as we talk tonight? Well, I think it's important to look at, you know, the data trends over the, the last year. We've gone through two and we're into probably at that third wave of, of infections. And over the last couple of weeks, we've certainly been concerned about holiday activities with Christmas and the New Year and how that's going to affect our, our data trends. And right now, it's, it's still a little bit early to, to tell exactly where we're going to end up. We noticed that testing was down a little bit because there were holidays and the test sites weren't open. So that affects our case rate. But also, you know, kind of looking at not necessarily a drop in the data, but a definite flattening in the data. But we're still holding our breath for that 14 days after the holiday. If we continue to see the trend going down, then we can start to relax a little bit and think that maybe we are heading the right direction. We're getting close, but we need to just keep an eye on that data. It's also extremely important for people to continue to get tested. We need to see um, more testing done in our community. And one of the things that we've done to help facilitate that is the National Guard test site that was at the Hapo Track facility in Pasco did relocate over to the Kennewick site, which is located at 1709 Ely Street. And they opened this week, I believe it was yesterday, 
And actually, their first day, they still saw, I believe, over 130 people came in for testing. So now we do have a testing site kind of in that South Kennewick area for, for that community to access. So please get in and get tested, especially if you've been at gatherings, family gatherings over the holiday, because there is that high asymptomatic rate that you may not even know you have it. You feel fine, but you could be passing it to others. And it's interesting to me because I know over the past couple of months uh, myself, I have accessed getting tested, thankfully tested negative both times. But I have been pretty impressed uh, of the of the way that that it get the way they get get people through the testing and, and the response. I think the first time I was under 48 hours and receiving a result. The second time I was barely 24 hours. And and what's interesting in talking to relatives uh and friends over the holiday season in the past couple of months about testing, you, you know, you kind of go, well, why don't you get tested before you come over? Well, I think we're, we're, we're pretty fortunate in this area to have availability of testing maybe that doesn't exist in other parts of the Northwest. Right, and, and both of these sites are doing such good work for the community. The CBC West site, initially they said their capacity was 500 tests per day, and we are consistently seeing them do 600, 800. They've even been as close as right at just a couple of tests under 1,000 tests in one day. And the other important thing to realize is both of these test sites, all the samples are going over to the University of Washington lab for testing. So it's very good testing. It's accurate testing. Sometimes the turnaround time might be a little bit slower simply because of the volume of tests that can land at the lab may back them up a little bit. But our CBC site has a courier twice a day that takes samples over to University of Washington so that they can get there and get in the testing queue just as soon as possible and the information back to the patient as quickly as possible. Can you, let's go back and talk about the current numbers you'd mentioned. It seems hopefully we've seen at least a plateau uh, or a flattening uh, of that term that we've, we've all become so accustomed to. But I know, uh, obviously, uh, and I think uh, with the holidays factored in and just the way the testings are the processes and things of that nature of uh, positive cases, give our listeners some context of where things stand on that, because I know, uh, some days seem to show lesser numbers and other days might show more numbers, but it may not be a true reflection of, of what the current status is. Is that right? Right, because the data the, that we're able to report out is, is dependent on many things. You may go in today and get your test taken, but depending on the lab it goes to, the turnaround time, it could be anywhere from 24 hours up to three, four, five days later that the actual result hits our data. So that's why it is so important to look at data trends rather than a single date. So people will look at a single date and go, look, it's improving. We've, we've gone down. But we also know that we've got to look at those 14-day periods of time because that's really an incubation period for COVID. So we want to see what's happening in 14 days to say, is it really trending up, is it trending down, or is it just a little flattening or plateauing? So important not to look at single-day data. And as you mentioned, the, the other piece is that the way this virus has worked, that it 
from what we have seen, if people did gather uh, over the holiday season, we we that time, not enough time has elapsed. So probably next week will be when we if we've seen any increase relative to to that. Right. Next week is going to really be the key time to look at what is our data looking at like, what's it trending like to tell us kind of where where we're going to end up after the holidays. So as we speak tonight, uh, after the holidays, I know, um, you know, the numbers, I know the hospitalizations have been up, although they've uh, gone back down over the last week or so, week to 10 days, I think. Uh, what's your level of concern right now? With the hospitals? With um, it, just in general, relative to COVID. Sure. I, I think our concern right now is we don't want people to be complacent. We're all exhausted. Our healthcare providers are exhausted. Public health is exhausted, but with the vaccine on board, we are so close to seeing us be able to turn this around. We're not done yet. COVID isn't done with us, and it's not going to be gone anytime soon, if ever, but we're starting to see some hope, and what people need to do is just, just hang on a little bit longer Keep using all those mitigation recommendations that we've, we've asked you to do with the masking and the social distancing, washing your hands. And now we do have that new tool in our toolkit, which is vaccine. And as we see vaccine roll out and become more and more available to the community, then that will give us that other tool that's going to be so important that we just have to stay focused and continue to do what we've seen this community be able to do when we really needed to. And a wonderful segue, the word vaccine is, because that's with our second segment with Heather Hill, we're going to get into more detail on how that vaccine distribution through the state of Washington is working and when we can all as community members expect to get the vaccines ourselves and when they will be more widely available than they currently are. Back with our next segment of Cadillac on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program, continuing our discussion with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District and shifting the conversation now, Heather, if you would, on where we are with the vaccines. I know uh, around the state I'm reading some information released today by the Washington Department of Health that I think the number was 425,000 doses of vaccine have been delivered to the state and 110,000 of those have been administered. Where are we at locally? And if you would, share for our listeners how this whole distribution process works, because I think it's been a little bit confusing on the rollout. Sure, and it certainly has. We've gotten a lot of questions here at the health district. So um, I'll give a historical perspective first. Typically in Washington State, and I'm going back many, many years, vaccine has arrived from Department of Health to the local health departments, and then it would be distributed to the vaccine providers, our, our community physicians and medical providers. Over the years, that system has really moved into a more centralized process within Department of Health so that the provider would actually order the vaccine through Department of Health directly and then it would be shipped directly to the provider bypassing the local health department. 
the decision was made with COVID to really use a centralized vaccine um, process, meaning providers must sign up with the Department of Health to become a vaccine provider, and it's a two-part sign-up. And once the person, once the entity gets final approval, meaning their contract is in place, they have the correct refrigeration or freezer capacity and ways to report the vaccine because these, this is federal vaccine and it comes with um, some very meticulous reporting requirements. Once the, the entity has proven that they have all those things in place, then they get approval to be a vaccine provider they can start putting an order in and receive the vaccine. What I think the community needs to realize is Department of Health has had thousands of providers put in an application. Initially, applicants came in very, very slowly, and as more news came out that the vaccine was very close to arrival, suddenly Department of Health got inundated with a very large number of applications that they're trying very hard to get through. So one of the things that has slowed vaccine arrival is possibly when did you get your application in? Another aspect is who are you going to serve with, with that vaccine? And we've heard about the phased approach and the initial vaccine rollout really is intended to go into the arms of those frontline healthcare workers, frontline emergency response providers that are at some of the greatest risk if, of catching COVID because of the nature of their work. And so that is the focus right now is we have a, a somewhat of an estimate of how many of these providers are in Washington state. So we're looking at data, Department of Health is watching the data to see how close we are to actually getting the vaccine into the arms of those highest risk people. Another aspect is, is the sheer uniqueness of, of rolling out this COVID vaccine. Right now in our community, we have Pfizer vaccine, we have Moderna vaccine. Each of those products come with some unique shipping, storage, handling, and processing, actually getting it into the arms of people. Um, so logistically, it is a little more complicated to plan a vaccine clinic than it is, say, for just going in for your routine flu shot. There's thawing that has to come into play. You have to get the vaccine prepared, ready to go into the arm of the person. There's a lot more education that needs to go into this vaccination because it's so new. We want people who receive the vaccine to really understand it, to be educated and get vaccinated with that good information that they need. And then there is a wait period that we're asking people who get vaccinated to wait anywhere from 15 minutes to 30 minutes after receiving the vaccine to make sure that they aren't one of those rare situations where they, they have a bad reaction that could be devastating for them. So it's not as simple as our typical, go to the pharmacy and get our flu shot or go to the doctor and get our flu shot. There is a significantly longer process in, in getting this vaccine into the arms of people. I know colleagues at Cadillac, Cadillac was uh, able to get a shipment and I think they come in 
in boxes of like just under 2,000 doses. And I know that first response, you know, the frontline caregivers and uh, and they've almost reached, I believe, the the end of that first uh, that first round. And they've also not only in addition to the Catholic frontline res- uh, workers, they've also been able to. I think I was, the number I was told was something like uh, a quarter of the vaccinations they've been able to do have been with other first responder, the paramedics, EMS services, and and other people that are more at risk in the healthcare community around the Tri Cities area. So I know. Uh, there's that 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 effort has been really work. There's a team working very hard to get people vaccinated. But then also, uh, we only have a couple of minutes. But I know one of the other complicating factors, in addition to getting that next round for for more people to get vaccinated, you need to you need two doses, right? Right, and the two doses have to be of the exact same product. So if your fo- first dose is Pfizer, your second dose has to be Pfizer. If it's Moderna that's your first dose, Moderna has to be your second dose. And that can be a little bit complicated in, in tracking and making sure that person is getting the correct vaccine. So the good news, I know, is is we we have begun vaccinating folks. And, and I know it can't come fast enough for, for the larger populations. And I know there are phases for people uh, uh, that are being categorized. And that's that can be go to the Department of Health or Benton Franklin Health District's website for more information on those. But I guess one concluding comment, if you would, for the larger population, Heather, what should they be doing? Uh, should they contact their health care provider? Uh, should they go uh, to these Department of Health websites? What should they be doing to find out when they may be estimating that they may be able to get their vaccines? Sure. Department of Health is just getting ready to roll out a lot of very good information on the vaccine. They will be rolling out their phase finder where you can go in and help determine exactly what phase of vaccination you would fit in. But the important thing is is to remember at some point everybody will have access to the vaccine. Right now we really need to focus our attention on the highest risk. And also vaccine isn't the only thing that's going to stop the spread of COVID. It's our entire toolkit. It's masking, washing hands, socially distancing, and vaccinating. It's going to take that entire toolkit in place for us to really beat this this virus. About 30 to 40 seconds, if you would, just a concluding remark then. I know some people are a little apprehensive, just like they might be with the flu shots on an annual basis. What's your message to them? You know, this has been, you know, from the public health perspective, I've been in public health 37 years and I personally have never experienced anything quite like this. And there was a lot of fear and trepidation even in, in the healthcare profession world that I live in. But as the vaccine arrived and people started to read and learn and see their colleagues across the United States get vaccinated, there was a, a, a really interesting level of excitement that they were being vaccinated with a, a historic vaccine. And we have not seen this in in my history up until now in the world of public health. So it's really quite exciting to see healthcare providers really excited to be able to be the first in line to get this vaccine, number one, to protect themselves, but number two, to show the world that it's okay to get this vaccine. We're going to be fine getting this vaccine. 
Well, Heather Hill, thanks as always for all the great work in 2020 and for starting our our 2021 uh, up with some more great and useful information. Heather Hill with the Ben Franklin Health District. Again, go to the Department of Health website, doh.wa.gov. It has some information on those various categories on the scheduling that they're planning to roll out over the course of 2021 as to when people can get their vaccinations. Back with the second half of Catholic on Call in just a minute. listening to Cadillac on Call on 610-KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610-KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. A reminder, if you missed any part of our program, Catholic on Call is available on your favorite podcast platform. Just search Catholic on Call when you visit Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Back to our Catholic on Call program, and happy to welcome to the program and wish a happy new year to Dr. Brian York, who is an infectious disease specialist at Catholic, and throughout 2020 was one of our go-tos for expertise uh, as we navigate our way through the COVID-19 pandemic. And First of all, Dr. York, I guess I'd like to spend most of our time, if you would, uh, in an area that you're quite knowledgeable about, and that's where we are with vaccines, which is it's probably nice to be able to talk about positive rela- developments related to COVID-19. Yes, that's, it is good to move on to a topic where we've, we've really seen some success. You know, we've talked several times last year about different uh, treatments uh, and other interventions in the hospital, some of which have had a significant impact like uh, steroid treatment and others that have had somewhat mixed results, including the remdesivir and the plasma, where you know, we certainly saw some improvement, but not as much of a benefit as we would hope uh, for a lot of patients. And the vaccines have really uh, significantly outperformed what was hoped for as a best case scenario. And when about nine months ago, we were talking about how great it would be if we could have some vaccines that would have 70 to 80 percent effectiveness and Uh, No one expected to see 95% efficacy for preventing COVID. And so they're they're both, both of the ones we have available now uh, look great. And then there's a third vaccine coming along soon uh, that will give another option as well. If you would, maybe as as simply as you can for us uh, non-clinical-minded folks, explain how these vaccines work and why they are so successful. Well, um, and you're asking specifically about these mRNA vaccines? I would guess we have, what, the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine are the two that are out right. currently, right? Yeah, correct. And and these vaccines are made differently than any vaccine we've ever had before. Um, work had been done by Moderna to try to develop a vaccine for SARS several years ago, but then the, the SARS epidemic fizzled out so quickly that they really never had a chance to put it into practice, but they were... They had done some groundwork and were ready to go, and then and Pfizer had also been working on this technology. So, the real difference with these vaccines is that instead of having to somehow uh, take a virus and make it uh, make it unable to produce illness, so that you can inject people with a what you'd call a dumbed-down version of the virus or an attenuated virus um, to produce an immune response, um, that takes a lot of work to, and is very difficult to produce the product. Uh, another strategy is producing proteins uh, that are the same as proteins that are on the virus. So with coronavirus, I think people have heard of the spike protein, which is really critical in our 
immune response. You know, so you can make the protein, but that's also very difficult. It's hard to manufacture proteins, um, and that's how most vaccines are, are made prior to these mRNA vaccines. You would either have to make the protein or you would have to take and develop a form of the virus that wasn't able to make people sick. What the mRNA does is it actually, the mRNA goes into your cells and it has your cells produce the protein. Uh, messenger RNA is a, is a nucleic acid that our cells use all the time uh, to make our own proteins from our genes. And so all the machinery is there in our cells to make the protein. So you send in this messenger RNA and your cells start making this protein and then your immune system fights or recognizes and produces a response to that protein, and that's what helps it to fight the virus more effectively if you are later exposed to the virus. And so because it's very easy to manufacture nucleic acid sequences, uh, you can very quickly figure out the sequence and very quickly develop uh, processes in a lab to make them. They were able to manufacture these and get the studies going much more quickly than they ever could have done by trying to alter a virus or uh, produce the protein itself. Uh, the downside is that these nucleic acid molecules are very delicate. They, they're metabolized very quickly in the body. They don't stick around for long. Uh, they don't last um, on, on surfaces or in a solution. So you have to do some special things to keep them preserved until you use them. And I think most people have heard that both of these viruses have some unique um, challenges for logistics. Uh, the Pfizer product in particular has to be kept very, very cold. Uh, and then the Moderna product doesn't have to be kept as cold, but there's still an issue with once you start using product from a vial, you have to use it up within within that same day or you have to waste whatever you've not used out of that vial. So we're working on rolling out uh, logistics to make sure that when we're able to start offering this to the general public, we're doing it in a way that isn't wasteful so that we take full advantage of every dose we have available to us, but also uh, protect people's privacy and are able to get people through uh, these these vaccination clinics as quickly and efficiently as possible. So a lot of work that's going to there's a lot of logistics, as you say, once once there's enough supply in the in the pipeline to to get in the arms of people. Right. Yeah. So the the Pfizer vaccine is what we've been giving uh, so far to our employees at the hospital. Um, and I think healthcare workers are used to being going and getting our shots together. We do it all the time. Every year there's annual flu shot drives, and we're used to just walking into a room and rolling up our sleeves and getting shots. And uh, so that's made it uh, pretty efficient. But when we're offering the vaccine to patients, obviously we have to make more effort to allow for patient privacy, and um, it has to be a little bit more of a, a private procedure. Um, the Moderna product uh, can be kept in more locations. So the hope is that we will not be having to do all of this in one centralized location, but that we can have a number of locations that are set up to administer these vaccines. And there, we don't yet know when we will be able to start offering the vaccine to patients, but we do know it's coming soon. And we're trying to make sure that we are ready so that as soon as we get that green light, we are ready to go and can stand it up very quickly and uh, get patients in. And, and I know, and Heather touched on it in the first half of the program, is the fact that they're both of these vaccines initially, they, are, they require two vaccinations. So that adds to that logistical issue. Yes. Um, the vaccine we're giving to our employees uh, is, the uh, again, the Pfizer product. 
two doses, three weeks apart, you have a window of time of about four days. So somewhere between 17 and 21 days after the first dose is when you should give the second dose. So we have to make sure we can accommodate people coming back during that time frame so that the schedule allows for it and that we have product enough uh, to, to give everyone in the proper time frame. And, and that's been working well. Um, I believe the Moderna product is also two shots four weeks apart. So similar, but a little bit different. And, and the other trick is that you have to make sure that people get a series of the same product. You can't start with one and then a few weeks later give the other vaccine. <laughs> right. So whatever you get for dose one has to be the same thing for dose two. So we've got to make sure that all of that is being tracked in a way that, that it works correctly for every patient every time. If you don't mind me, I trust you've gotten your vaccine? Yes. Yep. I got my first dose. Well, it was two weeks ago Monday, and I'm due for my second one. I can get it either this Friday or next Monday to, to finish the series. If you wouldn't mind, share with our listeners, what, what, were you, what was going through your mind? Was, I, I've seen lots of different reactions from the healthcare workers across the country and certainly colleagues at Cadillac that some have gotten, you know, it, it, it's really touched them that, man, they realize the magnitude of what this means. Well, right. There were very mixed feelings. I think uh, for most of us, it was exciting to be able to receive the vaccine. Um, in some ways, we're almost like guinea pigs uh, because in the clinical trials, there were no incidences of these severe anaphylactic reactions. It's, it's interesting. Out of the thousands of patients who received the vaccine in the, in the study, it never happened. And then as soon as it started being used widespread in the U.K., we quickly heard about two times where that happened, and it happened in Alaska shortly after it was available in the U.S., and we've continued to hear reports of this happening. And so there was a little bit of nervousness there. Um, but, you know, our local experience so far has been good. We've given about 1,800 doses to our employees, and I think there have been four patients or four employees who had um, felt unwell in some way and went down to the ER to be observed for a brief period of time. None of them had anaphylaxis. None required any medical treatment, uh, but it was more out of precaution. And we are having everyone stay for 15 minutes after they receive the shot to just be in observation and make sure that they're doing well. And it's during that observation that a few people did have some symptoms, but fortunately, uh, none that required any kind of treatment. Um, I, I always get a little soreness in the shoulder uh, every year for my flu shot and tetanus boosters and things like that. And this was probably a little bit more sore than usual, but not not terrible, and I felt a little bit tired the next day, uh, but I was still able to, to go through all my usual activities and routines. I didn't miss any work or anything like that. Um, so it's, you know, it, it does have some side effects. It does have some symptoms that you'll feel, uh, but it's good to know that we're now protected. And I guess did you have any of that emotion run through you just to go, gosh, this is, this is pretty monumental. This is the world in which I work. And I've been so involved in it uh, for so long, but did you pause and reflect what that meant? Yeah, and I, for me to have been able to receive it, um, you know, before the end of the year, because I, you know, looking back, I remember in February of last year, we were hearing about this. And really, the speculation in February was still whether or not this would become widespread, whether or not um, we would see... Uh, a lot of it in the United States, or would it be similar to the first uh, SARS outbreak where it, it spread to a few places but got under control very quickly? And here, you know, 10 months later, um, was receiving a vaccine specific to this viral infection. And, and not only that, but coronavirus infections, you know, the non-COVID 
regular circulating coronaviruses that cause the common cold. There's four different serotypes of that that we see on a fairly regular basis. We've never had a vaccine that worked for those. So I, I didn't even know if it was possible for there to be an effective vaccine for coronavirus infections. Um, and then here we are before the end of the year with an effective vaccine. It really is historic. Visiting with Dr. Brian York, we have just a few minutes left with him, but we have to take a break uh, before we do. Back with our remaining minutes of Cadillac on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Cadillac on Call is made possible through the support of the Cadillac Foundation. The foundation supports a wide array of initiatives at Cadillac Regional Medical Center and Cadillac Clinic throughout the year. If you'd like to join the team and support Cadillac Foundation, visit cadillac.org slash foundation. Just a couple of minutes left with Dr. Brian York, an infectious disease specialist with Cadillac, and we've been talking about the vaccines that are slowly beginning to work their way uh, through the Tri-Cities area and around the country, and most importantly, uh, maybe start turning the tide against this pandemic. And Dr. York, before we let you go, maybe just give us a perspective. You touched briefly on some of the treatments uh, that patients have been receiving over the course of the pandemic the last 11 or 12 months. Where are we with things like that? Are we seeing, I, I know over the course of last uh, summer and fall, uh, we were seeing success where while patients, the, the number of hospitalized patients has, has risen and fallen over time, uh, we were seeing better progress on those that were required serious treatment. What we have seen is that the treatments we have available, uh, convalescent plasma, uh, remdesivir, uh, both do have some benefit when they're started early in the course of illness. But unfortunately, neither of them make a big difference if someone already has significant um, pneumonia with, with respiratory failure and needing ventilatory support. So uh, the key is to get those treatments started early, which, which our uh, internists are doing. Um, and we do see them help in some situations. So we, we've seen a lower percentage of our patients requiring a trip to the ICU uh, and, and going on the ventilator. But what's really made the biggest difference has been anti-inflammatory treatments like steroids. And uh, we're, we're trying to use those uniformly unless there's a strong reason that they cannot be used. And so we've, we have seen more success with that. We have seen uh, patients recovering at a better rate than we did early in the course of the illness. But there are still, the reality is there are still cases where you, you use all of those treatments and you, you try all of that and you still don't see uh, a recovery. And we're also seeing as, as time has gone on and we've had patients recovering and surviving COVID-19 who had severe illness, there are some cases where uh, respiratory symptoms persist in what we call a post-COVID respiratory syndrome and that's being looked at and talked about more in the medical literature with studies and research being done to find the best ways uh, to help those patients improve. So it seems with every, with every step forward, there are other challenges that are presented. So really the, the best approach still is to avoid COVID in the first place. And, and I think the vaccines are really going to make a difference in that way as we're able to get them rolled out. Uh, but in the meantime, we really want to still encourage people to 
pay attention to hygiene and social distancing and mask use and uh, following all of the recommendations of our our public health experts. It's that what's made this so challenging is, as you mentioned, you're seeing, I guess, history unfold as it's happening. But but now there's been 9, 10, 11 months of this. So some of these people, what you're saying is that may have gotten COVID back in March, April or May are still seeing the lingering effects, but then yet others are fine. So it's just kind of a, a wide ranging spectrum. Right. And, and most people who have mild symptoms recover completely. Uh, and and he, I would say even the majority of patients who have severe COVID uh, when they overcome it, they over time, they, they get back to feeling as well as they did before their illness. But there is a small subgroup of patients that have um, scarring in the lungs that continues to cause difficulty breathing, usually in the cases that were, were more severe. And, and oftentimes those are cases uh, that early in the course of the pandemic may not have survived, but uh, we're seeing more of those folks that do survive. And time will tell whether that scarring goes away over time and whether that condition improves over time. Well, if you would, and you've kind of already touched on the importance of these public measures, uh, public health measures that we should all need to continue to, but we're sitting, we're still in the, the height of the winter. I know the hospitals are very busy, COVID and otherwise, so there's not a lot of room at the end, but maybe just a concluding remark from your view uh, where we sit in the Tri-Cities area uh, relative to COVID-19 going forward. Well, if you look, um, if you look at the incidence of cases, we, we actually peaked before Thanksgiving in, in mid-November, and we, we were coming down and then did have another wave that followed Thanksgiving. Unfortunately, we got back up to about the same level as, as the mid-November peak, but it has been trending downward again. Um, there was a lot of focus leading into the holidays about trying to avoid large gatherings and family gatherings. And I, I think people saw what happened after Thanksgiving. And my hope is uh, people heeded that advice because so far, knock on wood, we've not seen a recurring spike following Christmas, which was you know 12, about 12 days ago now, and we're about five days out from New Year's. And so I, I think I'll feel a lot more comfortable if another week or two goes by and we don't see an increase. But we've seen the number of patients in the hospital with COVID-19 uh, trending downward over the past week or two. So the, the, the overall census of patients who have COVID has eased a little bit. So hopefully that trend will continue. Well, thank you for again for taking time out of your busy schedule. Dr. Brian York, an infectious disease physician with, uh, at Cadillac. And again, if you'd like more information relative to COVID-19 and especially on how that vaccine rollout will be happening, visit the State Department of Health's website at doh.wa.gov or the Benton Franklin Health District at bfhd.wa.gov. Our thanks to Dr. York, to Heather Hill from the Benton Franklin Health District, and to you for listening to Cadillac on Call. We'll talk again next week.